All right, why don't you grab your Bibles, open up to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30, if you didn't bring your Bible, but you have your phone. We have a Bible inside of the phone, uh, inside of our app. You can turn straight there. Uh, This is part four of a series that we have called The Relentless Remnant. Uh, Now, before I get too far into it, I just want to share, I recently read of a story about this church. Uh, The pastor brought in a guest minister, and anytime you bring in a guest minister, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, this particular guest minister, I don't know if he was in a bad mood or if his cat died or, or whatever, but he got up there and he said, everybody who's a member of this church is going to burn in hell. And, and everyone was like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with this guy? And there was one guy sitting in the middle like this. And out in the lobby, the preacher said, you know, I, I couldn't help but to notice that you're smiling. He was like, yeah, I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> He goes, I'm just in town visiting my sister. <laughs> Awkward. Anyway, I'm sure that story's not true, but figured I'd share it anyway. Um, the Remnant series, this is what we're talking about. Uh, in Romans chapter 11, uh, it reads like this. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, which means in my own vernacular, There's about 7 billion people on the planet and less than a quarter of them profess to be Christians and still hang on to their faith and still pursue God and keep godly things a priority in their life. And so when you're dealing with that small number, that that group of people is called the remnant. It's a very small group of people. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that because there are three things that the remnant, the people who still believe in the Lord, that they need to be able to do for themselves Um, because nobody else is going to do it for them. And if anyone else does do it for them, it will never be to the degree that they need it. Uh, Number one is they need to be able to encourage themselves in the things of the Lord. They need to be able to encourage themselves. Number two, they need to be able to humble themselves. Themselves. They need to be able to humble themselves. And number three, they need to be able to live a sacrificial life. They need to be able to encourage themselves, humble themselves, and sacrifice their life. Sacrifice themselves. And so what does all that really mean? How does that apply to my life? Um, And and why is that important for uh, the remnant? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next three or four hours. So I'm so glad you came. Uh, No, I I know you're ready to go home and and make some barbecue and all that kind of stuff or whatever you do on on the Memorial weekend. I'm so grateful for all the soldiers that fought for us to give us this incredible country. Anybody with me on that? Absolutely. 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 So uh, this is the setting of scripture that we're going to unpack. There there was a guy named David. Uh, He's the guy who knocked down Goliath with a single stone. And uh, he was out fighting and he had a a troop with him, um, uh, soldiers with him. Uh, They came home after being on the battlefield and what they found was while they were out on the battlefield, the enemy 
came up and burnt their entire city to the ground. And they kidnapped the kids and they kidnapped the wives. And so when David got back, the soldiers were so angry with David. They blamed it all on David. And so they said, we're going to stone you. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stone you. They were so angry with him. And so the Bible says that David reacted in a very peculiar way. So interesting what he did. Uh, Watch what it says. In uh, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30, verse 6, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, I would say so, Uh, For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And now in many versions of scripture it says that he encouraged himself. And so what you have here is you have... An entire um, uh, platoon, if you will, an entire pack of soldiers returning home. And they come to find out their entire world has fallen apart. And all of them begin to be erratic and unsensible and, and started, doing, started thinking mad. Only one person was able to navigate this depression and that was David. He did something that the others didn't do. He, he went and encouraged himself Amen. in the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Uh, he could have looked at his friends and were like, man, you can clearly see. I need some encouragement here. Can you say something nice? Very rarely will people encourage you when you need the encouragement most. And so in those seasons where you and I feel like Um, you're standing in the ocean and the waves are coming in and you're trying to push the waves back. (laughs) It doesn't matter how hard you try, you just make a bigger mess. And, And sometimes you're in these seasons where it's just like everything is just coming at you all at once. The best thing you could have done was just stay in bed that day. It's all coming in. The marriage is coming in. The finances, the kids. Oh, the kids. Ah, the kids. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm saying. Ah, you guys understand what that means. Even if your kids are 50 years old, you still stress over them like they're five. Are you with me? It's just different problems. And they brought midgets with them, little kids. Little grandkids. And so you're worried about the grandkids. You're worried about the son-in-law, the daughter-in-law. Ah! And so you got all this coming in. We have got to know how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Now, at Saturday Night Live years ago, there was this guy. What's his name, Crystal? Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley. Does anyone remember him? Anyway, he used to sit in front of the mirror and he would look at himself and he would say, what would he say? (laughs) 
Oh yeah, I'm smart. This is only my third sermon to this morning. Um, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Does anyone remember that? Thank you, Adam. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. That is called encouraging yourself. And there's a place for that, I'm sure. But there's a difference between encouraging yourself and encouraging yourself in the Lord. Big difference. But if you do not know how to do this, this is an incredibly important thing. If you don't know how to do this, you will find yourself limping through life feeling very weak. So encouraging yourself in the Lord looks like this. David got alone. He went into his tent. And he began to do something that he learned when he was just a kid. See, sometimes we have gotten too smart. We got to go right back to the fundamentals, the basic stuff. See, it all started um, when... King Saul was struggling with depression. And he hadn't come out of his room in days. So his servant come up to, knocked on the door and said, King Saul, um, you have been depressed for too long. We don't know how to help you. We've served you grapes and watermelon. We don't know how to help you. But there's this kid that we've heard of that when he worships, we haven't seen it ourselves. When he worships, um, the spirit of depression leaves. Now, we haven't seen it ourselves, but we have heard of it. See, if you don't pay the prices personally, you won't experience it yourself. You'll only just hear about it. Because all growth requires investment, all growth requires sacrifice. So this is, you know, in my vernacular, we haven't made the sacrifice ourselves. We haven't done it ourselves. But there's another guy who this is a part of his life, his personal life. And now what's happening in his personal life is about to echo in his public life. If nothing is happening in your personal life, don't get frustrated when nothing happens in your public life. Don't get frustrated because you know why. So here we go. Uh, they go and they knock on the door. David, um, King Saul needs you. King Saul. That'd be like the President of the United States saying, I need you. And you're like, uh, oh my goodness. So David comes walking in. There were so many jokes available and I passed them all. Um, David comes walking in, into the room. He's overwhelmed with the palace. He's overwhelmed with the king. He's feeling all of this pressure. And so this is what he does. He closes his eyes. He blocks everything out. We got to learn how to do this. Let me just tell you, if, if worshiping alone is not something that you do, you can still go to heaven. Heaven is a faith thing. But if worshiping alone is not something you do, between now and then, things are going to be a lot harder than what they should. And so David learned, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to block everything out, and I'm just going to start worshiping. And as he started worshiping, 
this spirit of depression left the room and all of a sudden King Saul started smiling again. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. Have you ever been through seasons where you see somebody else laughing really hard and you're like, I wish I could laugh like that. Has anyone ever been there? It's like, I wish I could laugh like that. Uh, you know that you haven't laughed in a long time when your laugh is not a laugh, it's a statement. It's like somebody does something and you're like, oh, that's funny. Well, if it's funny, why aren't you laughing? Because I, was ju- I just said that's funny. No, uh, well, if it's funny, funny means laughing. Why aren't you laughing? And the truth of the matter is sometimes you go through seasons where you just haven't laughed in so long. And this is, this is where Saul is. And, and so all of a sudden, David starts worshiping. And Saul, that spirit, leaves him. Now fast forward. Now it's not about Saul. See, isn't it easy to encourage other people? It's like, hey, you got a future. Hey, keep your chin up. Things are going to turn for you. The tide is going to turn for you. But when it's your own battle, you better know how to encourage yourself in the Lord. So David goes, oh my goodness, we just lost the whole town. We all lost our wives and our kids. But wait a minute, I know what to do. He goes into his tent, gets in his tent and starts worshiping God. And starts praising him. That, my friends, is encouraging yourself in the Lord. That, that's encouraging yourself. So when you feel like all you want to do is eat chocolate and lay in bed. When you feel like you're trying to push the waves back in the ocean. When you feel like all of that is going on. And the greater the anointing the greater the opposition. If you ever look out your window and go, man, they got it so easy. All they do is whistle and skip through daisies. Your anointing is greater than theirs. So if you covet their battle, you're also getting their calling. That was so deep. That was... I I caught up to that after I said it because it works inverted too. If I look at Billy Graham and say, man, I want your calling. Do I want his battle? I don't want his calling that bad. And then I look at other people who have smaller battles than me. I'm like, man, I want that battle. That's a piece of cake battle. But do I want to give up parts of my calling? Not that bad. Are you with me? So here David learned to encourage himself in the Lord. The second thing that he learned to do was how to humble himself. A lot of times we look at humility as something that comes to us. Where the scripture says it's something that you produce within yourself. It's very interesting. Watch. Let me read it to you. It sounds like this in Luke chapter 18 verse 14. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Watch this, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 9, it speaks of Jesus. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. It's something that you do to yourself. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's something that you do 
to yourself. It's an activity. So the Bible says that the Lord opposes the proud. If, if Isaiah is proud, prideful, God's going to make things very hard for him. But if he's humble, he's made himself humble. Then the, script, the second half of the scripture applies to him. God opposes the proud, but he raises up the humble. Now doors are just going to open for you. Big difference. As a part of the remnant, you have to know how to encourage yourself. And you also have to know how to make yourself humble. Now, how do you actually make yourself humble without being proud of yourself for making yourself humble? Are you with me? Because then you just mess the whole thing up. Look how humble I am. Did you see that? I, I, it, it just messed the whole thing up. How do you do it? So for you, you'll make your own list. I'm going to share my list. You make your own list. You might adopt some of the things from my list, and that's awesome. But on my list, I've got, I say sorry first and most. When I say sorry first, and I say sorry more often, I am making myself humble. Now, I can't mess it up by saying, you know I'm always saying sorry before you. <laughs> you know I'm always saying sorry more than you. No, no, no. When I say sorry first, and I say sorry more, I'm choosing to humble myself. Here's another example. If I treat you better than I treat me, I am forcing myself to humble myself. Here's an example of that. Um, your favorite topic, whether you realize it or not, is you. You love to talk about you. My favorite topic, as embarrassing as it is, is me. And so when you and I talk with each other, you want to talk about you and I want to talk about me. But if I'm going to treat you better than I'm treating me, I'm going to keep the topic on you. Um, I'm going to find ways to put you first and make myself second. Uh, I love making coffee. I love it. I love it. I love smelling coffee. I love drinking coffee. If I could put coffee in an IV, I would. So the other day, I was making this coffee, my coffee. And it's just a real elaborate process, right? You got smoke and steam and there's a certain cup and blah, 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 blah. And I made it, and I made it perfect. Just a little bit of foam on top, and there's a little swirl right in the middle, like a little caramel swirl. And I looked at it, and I'm like, I just nailed it. <laughs> and so then I clean it all up, and I'm about to drink it, and I just feel the Spirit of God, not out loud, just right down in here, give that cup to Allie. <laughs> so I said, Satan, get out of my house. 
get behind me, Satan. I know that's not from... And so I just felt my heart. I knew it was the Lord because it's not going to come from Satan. And I'm not that unselfish. So I knew it was the Lord. So I was just like, I don't want to give this to him. So then I had this thought. I'll make one for Allie while I'm drinking this one. And then I thought, no, no, no. I'm going to give her this one and then I'll come back. And I just felt like I needed to give Allie this cup of coffee. So I thought, maybe Allie won't want it. <laughs> because I always, I'm always up for a cup of coffee. Allie, she's, sometimes she wants coffee and sometimes she doesn't. So I'm like, ah. So I just thought, I'm going to do what I believe the Lord wants me to do. And maybe I'll just get free points and not have to give it up. Right? So I said, hey, Allie. Hear my voice. Allie. Uh, Hey, I just made a cup of coffee. Do you want it? She said, oh, that'd be so great. <laughs> so I take the cup of coffee and I'm giving it. She's like, oh, thank you so much. She just took it out of my hand and just started, oh. I was like, you didn't even notice the caramel swirl. Just, you don't appreciate it. Like, are you with me, Adam? There, there's, a, there's a signature to it, right? You're with me. So I go back and I'm making the cup of coffee and I just knew I did what was right. What's so interesting is I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've studied it, I've read it in the Bible, I've, I've seen it in my own life, I've heard it preached many times, that the private decisions that no one else knows about determines the public pace Private decisions determine public pace. And people always look at public pace and go, I wish I was on that pace, but they won't make the private decisions. They think that their talent will carry them. I was told of it this way. It wasn't, Frankie, your talent is going to hurt you. It was, your charisma is going to hurt you. You have the curse of charisma. Your charisma is only going to take you so far. And then you better have done something in your private world. It's kind of like when you were in high school, who was the most popular guy? It was the guy who could throw the football. But now who's laughing? It's the quiet kid in the math class that's writing the checks. Are you with me? It's it, at a certain point, your talent and your charisma and your looks, especially when you hit 24, it's all over after that. You better have done something in private to humble yourself and learn to encourage yourself. And if you don't have this private time in your car, in your shower, in your bathroom, in your room, in the morning, in the, if you don't learn to have this private time, yes, you're going to heaven. We're not talking about that, so don't argue with me on that. But... Your journey is not everything that it could be. To learn to encourage yourself in the Lord and to learn to humble yourself. Here's another way I learned to humble myself is I reach out first and most. In other words, um, everybody has friendships that they wish were closer. We all do. Um, but we play the game. 
I don't want to call you more than you call me. I don't want to text you more than you text me. Uh, so I'm going to play the yo-yo game, in and out, in and out, in and out. But it's humbling to reach out first, and it's humbling to reach out most. It's humbling. To find these ways to humble myself. I hope that helps you. Point number three is a sacrificial life. David lived this sacrificial life of, I am not here to do what I want to do. I am here. I, my reason for existing is to serve you. It's my reason for existing. Now I've got responsibilities. I've got work. I've got job. I've got to pay the bills. And I plan on doing it to the best of my ability. But my purpose is a difference between responsibilities and purpose. My purpose is to be an echo for you. And so I am going to have a sacrificial life. Here's, here's the sacrificial life. What do you want me to do right now? An unsacrificial life, never, that thought never even crosses their mind. Now they may be Christians and they may love God, but that thought does not ever cross their mind. If you're a lady in this room and you live a sacrificial life, before you leave the house, you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, is this, would I wear this if Jesus was going out with me tonight? If there was three people, not just two. If there was six people, not just five. Would I wear this? Uh, and then just remember, he is in the car. Um, if, if you're a guy here, the attitude that you project, would you have that attitude? If he was listening to you talk, because he is, it's a sacrificial life. It's not about what I want to wear, and it's not about heaven or hell. It's about, what, am I doing what you want me to do? Yes. And now watch this. Let me... Let me let me see if I can illustrate this. This morning, I was driving to church, and I thought about this guy that I, I think I've seen him once in the last nine months. He just crossed my mind while I was driving to church. And um, I know that this, he's got this woman in his life. Sometimes he's with her, sometimes he's not with her. Um, they're not married. I don't know if they're broke up, if they're not broke up, but um, it's just kind of messy. It's certainly not a sacrificial relationship. I know that. And so I'm driving to church this morning. I guess it's like 6.45. And he crosses my mind, and I know he's an early riser, so I call him. And I'm going to talk to him about something that I, that I feel is, is serious. I call him, and he goes, Hey, Frankie, how are you? And as soon as he said, hey, Frankie, how are you? I felt the Spirit of the Lord tell me, don't talk to him about that. That woman is laying in his bed with him right now. So I said, hey, man, I'm doing good just thinking about you. Hey, is that girl laying in your bed right now? <laughs> just like that. He goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, she is. I said, well, two things. Number one, tell her I said hi. 
Number two, call me this afternoon. He's like, all right, cool. All right, bye. Click. There's, there's certain things. I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Man, the things in my life are just not going well. I'm not sure what it is. And, and I think it has to do with this, this business deal. It's stressing me out. Da, 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 and I'm just, I'm a wreck, and it's causing a lot of friction with me and my wife. I said, hey, before we start talking about that business deal, let me ask you a question. Is there anybody at work that you haven't kissed her, you haven't done anything physical with her, but if your wife could watch you talk to her, she would be furious? He just got real quiet. And he said, "Uh, why are we talking about this? And I said, you know why we're talking about this. If I can't be sensitive over a cup of coffee, if I can't be sensitive about the way I talk, if I can't be sensitive about the way I dress, if I can't be sensitive about my attitude, what makes me think that my relationship with him is going to be so sensitive that he's going to speak to me in those clutch moments? Because I got to tell you, when people talk with you about their problems... They know you can't fix it, and they're hoping, they're hoping that some way, somehow, by talking to you, it's going to help. And what you know and what I know, that even though they're talking to you, they're going to be very disappointed if God doesn't show up. So when you're talking to somebody in the copier room at work, at the cooler, at the lunch table. We need to have already lived a sacrificial life. Because as stressful as our responsibilities are, our assignment is of far greater importance. And this, my friends, is what the remnant does. We learn to encourage ourselves. We learn to humble ourselves. And we learn to sacrifice ourselves. And when we do that, we're learning how to do things on our own without depending on other people. And number two, the Lord opposes the proud, but he raises up the humble. And I don't know about you, I get weary while doing good. Is anyone here, you get tired, even though you're doing the right thing, it's still weary? I did the dishes four times last Saturday. I told my kids, stop getting thirsty, my gosh. Four times last Saturday. Yesterday, I'm like, dear Lord. I got like, my fingers are all wrinkled. (laughs) In the middle of all these responsibilities, you can get tired and the Lord just takes his arms and puts them underneath your arms and says... I've seen your humility. I'm raising you up. Encourage yourself. Humble yourself. Sacrifice yourself. Why don't you stand up on your feet for me, please? If everyone here could bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around, please. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure 
you know where you'd spend eternity. Let's not play church this morning, okay? I asked this same question to the first service and the second service, but I feel in my heart and in my spirit that there's a few people here. You are just wrestling with God. You're just wrestling with Him. So I want you to take this moment very serious. Whether you come to church here all the time or this is your first time, let me ask you, if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you're ready to see Him? If the answer is no, without anyone looking around, would you just raise your hand right where you are? That's it. Hands are going up all over the room. As a sign of surrender, can we all just raise both hands? And let's say this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Come on, say that. I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just keep your head down, I want to pray a blessing over your life. and. If you want to come down to the altars and pray privately, you're more than welcome to do that. There's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May His face shine down upon you. May His countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. And may the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.